We're here today to speak with one of the contributors to our new book, How to Heal Our Divides. I'm here with Vanessa Ryers. Vanessa is an ordained pastor and working artist in Northwest Arkansas. Vanessa and her husband, Rob, pastor Vintage Fellowship in Fayetteville, which they planted over a decade ago. Together, they have four children, biological and adoptive, ranging from college to preschool. In 2018, Rob ran for U.S. Congress, and Vanessa completed a room-sized mosaic installation in the Conrad Hilton of Washington, D.C. So I want to hear more about that in a moment. (laughs) Their congressional run was documented in a film called True Believer by Sarah Colt Productions. Vanessa also sells in two Etsy shops, one for vintage home decor called the Classic Butterfly, and another for broken china mosaic art, the Mosaic Butterfly. But the real reason Vanessa is here with us today is because she participated in an effort called Vote Common Good and wrote about it in our new book. So Vanessa, it's really wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate Um, you participating in this project. I'll uh, I'll start off by disseminating the hardest question, and that is how to pronounce our name. And it's Ryersey. My name is Ryersey. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Nobody gets it right. So that's okay. Good, good. So um, maybe before we get into Vote Common Good, you could tell us a little bit more about your background. Oh, sure. Um, So I grew up in uh, Western Pennsylvania, uh, country kid, Um, was part of, um, was in private Christian school, uh, very fundamentalist church, um, attended that my whole growing up years, um, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, then went off to Bible college because what else are you going to do? That's what you're prepared for. So um, went off and got an English ed degree and also got married, um, went straight into ministry. The week after we got married, we started at our first church. Uh, we did, we were in traditional churches for 10 years um, all over the place, New York City, Boston, rural Michigan, and then um you know, we turned 30 and realized that we <laughs> were fighting over whether we were going to wear a tie to Sunday evening service and if we had to play the organ for the songs. And that was not what we had signed up for. We really, we thought we were training to change the world. And so we decided we needed to start a church that we would go to even if they didn't pay us. <laughs> so... Um, So we did that in, um, I think, 2005. We moved to Northwest Arkansas. We were looking for a place that was was growing, was open to new ideas, um, because we really had to leave our our past, our network, our denomination. We had been part of um, these very fundamentalist churches for that time, and we just had undergone a a faith shift. We just didn't fit there anymore. The questions we were asking, um, yeah, we just didn't fit there anymore. So we started from scratch. We started Vintage Fellowship from scratch. We had no backers or support. Well, wow. we, our, our background, they, they said, you know, don't don't send us your newsletters. We don't want to know how you're doing. Like, we just, <laughs> we're not invested in your success. We don't want this to work out for you. Um, and, you know, most church plants fail. They fail like restaurants. I think it's like 86% of church plants fail. And somehow or another, we are still kicking. Um about five years ago, uh, I kind of realized for me personally that um, it was, I needed to speak up. I, I, we're part of this church that's really um, creative and um, believes in equality, and I was still playing really small, and I realized that I needed to sort of step up and 
So through the process of thinking it through, we decided that I, I should go through the ordination process and that would give our, chan- our church a chance to sort of explore that and have that experience. And so I spent a year exploring beliefs and writing and um, kind of, you know, thinking about where I was and, and being able to express that. And then the church um, went through a process of sort of questioning and, you know, grilling me, <laughs> which, which was fun and exciting and, and a great experience. And so they ordained me about, I guess it was four years ago. Um, and so like just getting the chance to sort of grow and, and think into that space as a woman um, and our church is what we would call um, sort of post-denominational and progressive evangelical. So those are really like directions that we're coming from that sort of help you to figure out where we are on the map. Um, yeah. So uh, then, you know, I, you know, over the years I've, I've um, just explored my creativity, always was interested in old things. And uh, one year my husband got me a pair of tile nippers so that I could cut up old plates. I was always, I was selling on eBay, you know, back in the day when that first started and was the power seller and did all of that, sold old things, you know, the whole time that we were, you know, starting the church and the kids were small and it was a way for me to be able to give some support to the family. And um, when I figured out how I could cut plates and have some control over that, then I started to be able to create what I was envisioning and be able to create the patterns and the look and the, the style that I was after. And um, I just sort of went to town on that. And that created this whole other really a business and also an identity as an artist, because I was able to take these old things and recreate them. There's so much metaphor involved with that. Um, And people love the look of that. There's some, they really respond to seeing something broken, being used in a new way. I mean, everybody seems to respond to it. And I, you know, I do these craft shows and these, these guys would come through, you know, tag along with their wives, these craft shows and you could see them instantly like hone in on, Oh, I can see how you did that. Oh, you use like wet saws and power tools and <laughs> route and cement. Like, you, like this is like, you know, like they, it was, it's really such a fun thing to see people respond to that. So. Um, so tell us about this room size installation. Yeah. yeah. Indeed, so that's probably next in the story. I'm, I'm trying to think like how, I guess they found me on Etsy maybe. Um, it was a company that had already started to work. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those gigantic projects that you don't really understand, like how it gets started. But, you know, a designer finds a designer is working for the architect and the whole thing. So they they kept looking for somebody who was doing what I do. And they found me and I, I had to bid on the, the project. They'd been looking for somebody for two years and it was just a good fit. And I you know, I thought about saying, no, it's 25 feet by seven feet. And I just had no, I, I had never worked on that. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. I mean, I, and the logistics of how do you move that and how do you get that from here to there and how do you hang it on a wall that doesn't even exist <laughs> yet. I mean, this hotel was being built. Okay. Um, and so it was a two year process of sort of figuring all of that out. But then once I kind of got started and decided, yes, I am the right person for this project. Then it was just, um, it's very meditative work. I worked on these large four by four panels and just slowly worked through those, you know, one by one, it ended up being 14 panels. And then they, then we were able to ship it to the place. And then I went and helped them install it. And it's entirely made of blue and white China, um, especially what's called blue willow. And everybody's 
everybody has blue willow. Their grandma has it. It's the longest running China pattern that's ever been made. Every company makes it. It's you can buy a set on, you know, walmart.com. Um, and it's, it's just, I mean, it, everybody has it. It's like the, it's like the blue jeans of, of dishes. Um, and it was originally created as a marketing ploy. The English were trying to break into the um, Asian porcelain trade. And so they created these, they're just transfers. They're just a, a pattern that they lay on the dishes that they were making. And they created this whole story about there's a, the two lovers and there's birds and they, they couldn't be together. And I, I mean, it's all a marketing ploy. It's, it's not, <laughs> um, but uh it, I mean, people love the story. They love the feel of it. They respond to everybody eats off of dishes. There's a, there's a, there's a human thing. There's a nostalgia thing. And then there's the broken thing where people are responding to that, that desire to see things brought back together and restored. And so, um, yeah, the entire piece is, you know, just entirely made of this blue and white China. There are teapots and, cups and saucers and plates and it's I mean it just covers this whole gigantic wall and so the Conrad Hilton um, is the hotel in Washington DC and it's part of the restaurant the estuary um, and they this is the like their private meeting room and they've they've named it after the piece it's the Blue Willow Room. So, That's cool how, yeah. how neat is that? Yeah. So so tell us about Vote Common Good um, you know why did that effort get started? How did you get involved in it? Sure. So Vote Common Good was an idea that that hatched, I believe, and I wasn't there at the time, but I believe it was um, at Mountain Film Fest. And um, my friend Doug Paget um, was there with some other friends. And it's just Mountain Film Fest is a you know a great place to sort of hatch creativity and interact with documentaries and all kinds of films that are being released. And so they, Doug and his friends got to talking about what could we do to address this thing that has happened um, with the Trump presidency and looking at um, especially evangelical voters um, that 81% of them had, had voted for Trump. And um, there are a lot of faith people, myself included, who don't feel like that kind of Christianity represents us and that we're, we're like, we don't show up in that. That doesn't look like us. Um, but that was our past. And those were the people that we were connected to. And so it became this question of, are there other people who would like to have the freedom to kind of break out of this mold that if you're, if you're Christian, you're Republican and you vote this way. Um, and so it just, it was sort of an idea that kind of got started. And I believe it was maybe the 2018 elections that they were, they went out on a bus tour all over the country um, to, to go after the congressional seats to try to flip those con congressional um that congressional, uh, those, those seats. And so, um, my husband actually went out with that group. And so, um, in 2016, when Trump was elected, um, my husband and I were horrified, like a lot of people. Um, and we were trying to figure out what we could do. And I heard a podcast that sparked my imagination about a group called Brand New Congress. 
And so that was how my husband got involved. And he ran for Congress in 2018. Um, he did not win. Um, as most congressional candidates don't their first time around, it's incredibly difficult. We learned a lot about the process and how it works and the funding behind it. And uh, a lot of the forces that are at play that you don't ever see. Um, and so with that knowledge, he was really ideal to go out with the first batch of um, that first kind of take at Vote Common Good. Um, he had a, a lot of connections with candidates at that point, and um, so he became the political director of this kind of fledgling group. And the idea was to go out and sort of give people an opportunity to just, you know, question. Maybe, maybe voting reflexively Republican, just because that's what we've always done, is not what's best for everyone. Maybe that is not best for the thriving of all people. That instead of um, thinking in terms of, um, you know, just trying to win, how do we how do we get everybody to win? You know, what what is going to contribute to the thriving of all of these people? Um, so that was 2018. They went out. They did three months, I think, on that tour, um, and they began to realize, oh, there's something here. This, this has some footing. We have, we have things to say and things to explore and questions to ask and, um, and representation to offer that, you know, here's, here's what this could look like if we, if we were to bring, you know, faith, hope, and love into politics. Um, so how I got on to the bus um, was sort of interesting. I... I didn't really consider myself, um, I mean, about political, I, I was interested in politics because Rob was interested in politics. Uh, and it felt sort of like, you know, learning alongside of him while I watch football, because he loves football. Um, but it wasn't my thing, per se. Um, I didn't feel knowledgeable enough. Um, I mean, engaged, I, you know, tried to try to keep track of how things happen and whatnot, but I, I just didn't feel like I belonged in that space um, until um, I think it was 2018, maybe 2019, the, um, the shootings in El Paso, the, the shooting that happened in El Paso in the Walmart there. And that became a very personal touchstone for me because it was targeted to um, the Latinx community there. El Paso is a really interesting uh, city because it's on the border and for their entire existence, they have never thought of themselves as us and them. They're, they have always been a community that just happens to have a border that runs through it. And so their families are on both sides. They have always coexisted. Um, and there's a sweetness um, to their existence. And so that's one of the reasons why that shooting was so insidious. That shooter drove 10 hours to go there to target their, their health and their goodness to one another. Um, but for me personally, I happened to be shopping in Walmart that day with my family in Northwest Arkansas where we live 
But then when those details started to come out, I started to take it very personally because our, our, our daughter, our third kid is adopted and she's um, Latina. And I just, I just, you know, when you adopt, it's so easy to think, well, I mean, she's just like us. We've had her all this time, you know, but the, the world doesn't see her that way. They see her as brown. They see her as Hispanic. They see her as, as Latin. And so my protection of her does not extend outside of this house if I'm not with her. And I just began to realize that um, I owed her. I owed her protection. I owed um, putting myself on the line for her. And the only thing I had really was story. Um, forgive me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, you know, I, I'm, it's so off, so easy to think that the only way to make a dent is if you have power. If you have influence, if you have money, especially in the political realm. It's so easy to to uh, to sort of get sucked into that 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 power struggle, um, and it. I mean, you look around and it's you know it's it's white guys kind of running things, and it's easy to feel really powerful, powerless in the face of that. Um, so how did you get involved with Vote Common Good, you know, based on that need? Yeah, so that that story, uh, it, it, it hung over me. And so I ended up going to El Paso for an event that Vote Common Good put together. Um, it was, they called it a border experience. And it gave people the opportunity to go and see these places and these events, like this, you know, this space for themselves. So we were able to speak to organizers on the ground um, the people that are doing the work there, um, it gave us the opportunity to see a, a detention center and the Walmart where the shooting was, the, um, just the culture there. Um, and when I was able to, to see that in person, I, um, I became very empowered. You know, it's one thing to go, you know, Facebook Live and want to talk about my opinions, whatever, but when you've actually gone there and you have that face-to-face -face experience, then you can start, you know, that, that has a little bit more weight. So I just started talking, just started exploring and learning uh, for myself. And so Rob went out on the tour. The plan was for him to go out for the 2019 tour. He was going to go out pretty much the whole year with the tour. I was going to stay home and hold things together. And um, of course they had to stop because of the pandemic um, and so they kept doing online events and um, trying to overcome those <laughs> those barriers to connection. But then so, so a lot of folks probably don't know what those tours look like. Could you right. describe what so, the, so those sure yeah so so the tour it, um, their plan was to go to all fifty states uh, over the course of twenty nineteen and twenty twenty and to um, to reach as many congressional spaces as they could and to try to um, sort of shave off the difference. You know, if you, if you could make a little bit of a difference in the, in the faith voters, 
that's all they had to do was move just a, a small percentage of voters from one side to the, to the other to be able to make a difference in, in, those, um, in those elections and especially the presidential election. And so they, the events are sort of like a camp meeting, a church camp kind of service. There's music and um, poetry and there's some humor and storytelling and kind of a talk and then an opportunity to invite people to get involved however they can. Um, some people ended up joining the tour. Some people um, just became local kind of act, um, activists in their own space and sort of inviting people into this vote common good conversation. Um, it, it, they, there were opportunities for people to see that you could do this differently um, and to encourage them to make a vote or to make a promise that, that they would vote with faith, hope, and love guiding their choices. So um, yeah, so they just went all over the country. They, I think they did maybe 33 events. They started on, you know, super Tuesday and they just, you know, from town to town to town, just telling stories and, giving these opportunities, this in-person kind of experience. And then uh, when the pandemic happened and they, they kind of had to rethink that. Um, and then in the fall, they felt like we could go out and do socially distanced outdoor events. Everything was outside masks and lots of hand sanitizer and um, just in these kind of open air spaces, which that ended up being really interesting um, because so often these events would have happened maybe in churches or meeting spaces that might have limited people. But when you were, came to an outdoor event, anybody could come. They didn't feel limited in that way. And so that, that was really interesting. Um, so my husband went back out on the tour in September. And um, they kept talking about me coming out and being part of it in some way. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I didn't know how I would contribute to that exactly. Um, but I began to realize that we needed, as a, as a couple, um, we had slipped into something very archaic that didn't match with who we were. And so I told my husband, There's, we're, we're missing some equality here. You are out doing you know, the superhero thing, and I am home doing the June Cleaver thing. And I'm not sure that's the best fit. Um, and so he said, all right, you're right. We do. We need to live according to our values. You're right. You should go out on the tour. And okay, I'll, I'll try it. I'll go out and tell this story about, you know, how as a mother, I am passionately um, motivated to speak for the protection of all kinds of people. I'll go out for, you know, a week or two. I can be, you know, I can be a little spice. I'm not, you know, an ingredient. I'll just, I'll just add a little flavor. Um, and so, yeah, that's that I went out for, for two weeks and um had this opportunity to tell this story face-to-face -to, -face to, to these beautiful people that came to these events. Um, and like every pilgrimage or missions trip or, you know, whatever you would call it, it, it was transformative for me. 
and it, you know, you can't measure exactly what you did, but you know that it, it changed you. Came home for another two weeks and the, the guys in the tour called Rob and said, we love you. We know your story is great, but we need Vanessa to come back, <laughs> which just meant the world to me. Um, and so I was able to go back out and stay on until the tour came to the end. Um, so we were able to convince enough faith voters to switch in very key congressional districts um, to flip and vote for Joe Biden and to get him elected. Uh, we were able to do polling afterwards that showed that those exact places that we went were, were very key demographics. They were, they were places that were able to change from how they had voted in the past and how they had voted this time around. We were able to, to reach those, those faith voters who were deeply uncomfortable with, uh, with the rhetoric of the Trump presidency. Um, that's an amazing accomplishment, you know, and, and incredibly important. And certainly we weren't the only ones. Certainly there were, you know, there were other groups that were, that were working hard and, and, and speaking into their spaces and, you know, doing what they knew how to do well. But um, to be able to look at those districts and say, those were places that we went and, and really put ourselves out there and, and really we're able to connect and it really, it did make a difference. So, so this phenomenon of, you know, a certain set of people being so entrenched, hmm. you know, in the way that they've voted and the way that they've believed or what hmm. have you, um, has shown to be a very difficult thing to overcome. Hmm. So what do you think has been the key ingredients in allowing the vote common good effort to make those switches? Hmm. I imagine they're very de deeply personal reasons. Just like for me, you know, to, to, make, uh, to make that move, and it's really identity. You know, your identity as a, I'm, I'm a Republican, I vote, I've, I voted Republican my whole life. This is what my family does. You know, this is, this is who I am. It's being able to, it's, it's, it's being able to sort of disrupt that picture of your identity and to believe and model that you could be something else, that you can be a deeply committed follower of Jesus. You can be a deeply religious person and you can vote differently than you were taught to vote. Um, so you think it's the role modeling of that, that people needed to see existence proofs, so to speak? I think role modeling is, is huge. I do. I think it's, you know, when somebody is willing to go first and say, here's what it looks like. Um, here's how you can be. Um, you can have integrity. You can keep believing strongly. And, you know, one of the biggest questions, of course, is the abortion issue. Of course, that's, it's, it's one of the hardest things to, to bridge. Um, and to be able to say, yes, we want all life to thrive. Um, we cannot, 
we cannot ignore all of these other people in the pursuit of this thriving or this, you know, these, you know, the unborn, you can't ignore all of these other people who are suffering in, you know, in elevating that as the only issue and being able to sort of flatten that, that high point for so many people. Cause that was, that's the thing that so many people, you know, Catholic and evangelical voters, that's that they hinge on that. Um, and being able to say, actually, there's a way we could do this that would reduce abortions and these other people would also um, be able to thrive and be safe. Yep. We could do both. It's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, since the 2020 election has been over for a few months now, how has Vote Common Good shifted its focus and what kind of activities and, and things are going on now. So Vote Common Good still has so much work to do. <laughs> if January 6th did not teach us anything, <laughs> it, it spoke loud and clear that Vote Common Good has lots to do. Because the other issue that has cropped up in these, in these faith spaces is this Christian nat- nationalism. And so... Um, Vote Common Good is exploring how to help pastors to speak to that and how to let them know, especially, I, I think it's really hard for, um, for these pastors and, and leaders to know what they're allowed to do. You know, they have this sort of image in their head, well, I'm not allowed to speak about politics from the pulpit. I'm not allowed to like, you know, I don't, you know, we'll lose our tax exempt status. You know, there's a, there's a certain, you know, that's a no-no, right? No. And so like helping, helping faith leaders to know what you're allowed to do and what you can do, how you can speak to this, why it's, why your why your people are so attracted to this, to these um, baseless um, conspiracy theories and uh, how they feel connected um, and, and it helps th- how they're like, you know, they're, they're, feeling connected to a community, not in a good way. And here are some ways that you could address that. Um, So that's one of the things they're doing. They're doing some, they're doing training for candidates to be able to speak to, um, to possible voters because historically democratic candidates, especially democratic candidates are, are really not great at speaking to faith. They, you know, they, memorize job 316 in the car on the way to an event and hope that that works, but they're not comfortable um, speaking to that space. And so Vote Common Good is like offering some training to help them to be able to speak more comfortably and more authentically. You know, they really have a lot in common, but they don't know how to speak that language. And so Vote Common Good is is giving them some tools to be able to, to be able to connect with voters. Um, I think that's really valuable. So training pastors, training candidates, um, putting out uh, lots of podcasts of lots of information for people to interact with as they're thinking, you know, what has happened is people are, they'll say they feel politically homeless. Essentially. They, they don't know where they fit anymore. They're they're The Republican party doesn't represent them. They don't feel like Democrats. They don't know where they, they belong. And so there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of talking and processing about, again, identity, like 
okay, where do I fit? Who, who represents me? Am I allowed, like, am I allowed to think like this? <laughs> you know, is, <laughs> that, does this match with who I am? Um, and so, you know, a, a lot of information, making a lot of information available to those people. Um, so <clears throat> if people want to get involved in Vote Common Good, you know, besides just going to look at the website, what are the different ways that they can participate? Um, so definitely tapping into podcasts would be a great way to sort of get acquainted with the people in the network, um, and then seeing how they are, um, are connected to the rest of the, like they're all over the country, Vote Common Good is everywhere. So being able to participate in something local, uh, there'll definitely be an event coming your way. I'm sure that bus is going to run again. <laughs> is there a specific sure. plan for that? I mean, yeah, or um, too early? Uh, the, the dreams, the dreams are in place. <laughs> and obviously, you know, funding is, is a, you know, if you want to participate by, by funding and, you know, signing up for the newsletter and kind of seeing what's, what's happening next. It, it's, it's nice because it's a light footed when you're, when you're a young organization, you can be really light footed and you can really address like what needs to happen. You, you know, you don't have to worry about, we never did it that way before, you know? So it, there's always going to be creative responses. I mean, the whole the whole organization, one of the things that runs through it is creativity. And also there's a lightness to it. I think that's one of the, my most favorite things about Vote Common Good is there is a lightness to it. There, It's so easy in the realm of politics and faith, you know, to get so sincere um, that you're, it's a little cheesy uh, and it can get a little, it can get a little heavy handed and make people just feel worse. And there, there's a lot of humor and a lot of um, just a holding things uh, gently that that happens. It's one of the values at Vote Come Good that I think is so attractive. It's fun. It's <laughs> fun. And I we desperately need some. I can really fun. imagine that those events were really fantastic. Yes. Yes. I mean, there. It's just. It's fun. And gosh, knows we need that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Vanessa, I really appreciate you um, sharing your stories and uh, sharing uh, the vote common good story and um, participating in how we heal our divides. I think, you know, you guys are really onto something. It's a, it's a very important effort. It obviously accomplished a lot already, but as you said, um, there's a lot to, to go. So, uh, so thank you for all your dedicated work on that and uh, for sharing it with everyone. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you.